welcome to Business Bites. I'm Jonathan Burr, and I wanted to thank you for taking the time to check out my show, which offers a unique vantage point on the world of business and economics, finance and investing. Um, one of the things I like to do is talk to entrepreneurs and find out what drove them to turn their passion into a commercial enterprise. And today we've got an interesting story uh, involving Anupi Singla. Anupi is a former colleague of mine at Bloomberg News, so we've known each other for years. She has turned her passion for Indian cuisine to a business she has called um, Indian as Apple, she calls Indian as Apple Pie. And as the name implies, what she's trying to do is make Indian food a little less exotic, a, a word she told me she hates, by the way, and, 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 and show that it, it, it's as American as anything else. Um, and uh, she, she, she talks very candidly about the mistakes she's made along the way, the lessons she's learned from them, and uh, the work uh, and, 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 and the work involved in starting a business, and, and particularly in a highly competitive sector like the food industry. There are lots of things to consider, like labels, and they have to be done correctly, or else you're going to create a lot of problems for yourself later down the uh, further down the road. Um, Loopy uh, is, is got some it's got some useful lessons in, in her story for anyone who's ever thought about starting their own business. Anyway, any feedback on my show is welcome as always. You can, uh, uh, you can email me at jdbrr at gmail dot com or um, you can reach me on Twitter at jd. Bites, B-U-S-B-Y-T-S, B-U-I-T-S, Anyway, look forward to hearing from you, and now let's hear from Anupi Singla. Back to our listeners, Anupi and I have a couple of things in common. We both worked at Bloomberg. We're both from the Philadelphia area, and you're my next-door neighbor growing up is, I believe, a friend of your family's, the Voras. And, uh, that's right. Yeah, and you know, it was my first introduction to Indian food when I was a kid there. Um, I remember, I remember going over to their house and smelling the food and trying their glob, getting introduced to glob jamun at the time that Indian food was really <laughs> exotic and, and and different. I mean, um, you know, uh, you would you talk a little bit about like you know what what sort of food, what what it was like growing up. In the eighty in the eighties, at the time when India. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, it was it was uh, a little tough because back in the seventies, late seventies, and the eighties, you really had this kind of distinction between um, Italian and everything else, right? So there wasn't a lot of focus on what Indian was, and honestly, there wasn't a lot of appreciation for what Indian was because there wasn't an understanding of it, and so. A lot of us that lived in that area at that time kind of kept that to ourselves and kept it within the house, but we always had folks that were neighbors or that were friends that appreciated the food and the cuisine, and I remember I had a best friend growing up that always used to come over and and eat the food because you couldn't get it elsewhere, and we've just seen so many changes over the last 25, 30 years, especially in the Philadelphia area, that I really value because that's not what I had growing up. And my kids now see folks appreciate 
cumin seed and appreciate the health benefits of the spices and the taste profiles. And for me, I, it's just so great to see that and to see young South Asian kids growing up in an environment where other people appreciate their food and their cuisine. When you were a kid, did you bring, did your mom pack you Indian, like, uh, like a, all you know, tandoori chicken or, or, or naan or wine? Yeah, I wanted to be just like everybody else. So we would beg for PB&J for school, and then at home we would eat our Indian dinners and love them. So we always try to fit in. And it's funny because my older daughter, when she was in preschool, she comes home one day and she goes, Mom, you know, I made all these amazing lunches for her. <laughs> and um, she comes home one day and says, Mom, I hear there's this thing that the kids, the other kids have that – is really cool, and I really want it for lunch. And I said, okay, what is it? And I'm thinking, you know, it's something exotic. It's something really different because she's been getting Indian food. I, I started packing it for her. She goes, it's called a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> Do you think you could make that for me? Because I really want that. I was like, oh, done, easy, you got it. Oh, okay. I, I was worried it was going to break your heart. But, uh, I, you know, uh, it was interesting, you know, because I, I remember at the time, you know, when they Boras would have their family visit them in India. This is Bora wore the wore saris, very nice version of saris, and uh, you know I, it was a lot. You know, it was it was it was a different time. You know, I think uh, if you want to get all sociological, we're talking we're talking about Indian food. It's like at the time, you know, it, it, until recently, it was considered socially acceptable to to to, to, to talk about Indian stereotype. From the Simpsons and whatnot, it, it seems as though uh, right now, uh, you know, that's starting to change a bit, like sorry, other people. But um, let me just ask you about Indian food. I know that you know we could talk about Indian food and in, in the uh, use that term Indian food, but is is there really one cuisine in India, or is there a common thread? Because I mean, India is a big place, and there's a lot of people there, and a lot mm -hmm. of cultures. Is there a common thread that ties all Indian? Well, Indian food, India is so diverse. So if you even look at the country called India, it's broken up into states that are so diverse in terms of climate. Climate usually affects the type of cuisine that you eat and the kind of ingredients that are grown and then used in your foods. And so one very basic difference will be, for example, in North India, in Punjab, where I'm from, where the Voras that you grew up with are from, they're from uh, a state that grows most of the wheat. It's called the bread baskets. And so most of our meals will have roti, which is a flattened Indian bread, uh, unleavened, not like naan, but that is where the naan and the roti and all of that come from. If you go down south, they have rice patties, and they don't have wheat as readily available, and so they'll eat more rice with their meals. So that's just one very basic differentiation, but there's so many others. And what we're seeing happening now in the United States, which is so fun, is that you see that folks do appreciate the kind of food that you get in Indian restaurants, which is mostly North Indian, fiery curries, Punjabi foods, but they're starting to recognize, because the restaurants are starting to offer it, cuisines from various other regions, Kerala, on the Malbar coast, the west coast of India, you've got 
South Indian cuisine, the idlis and the dosas. And then you even have uh, Bengali cuisine that's being offered in some of the bigger cities. So lots of differentiations and differences, just like in the United States. You wouldn't expect food in Charleston to be exactly like the food in Philadelphia. There's quirks, there's difference, there's nuance. And so that's what we're seeing finally come out in the West. But it's a secret that Indians have known uh, for centuries. And uh, it's just fun to see that being appreciated now. And more chefs bringing it to light as well. Now, I know that Asian food, Chinese food, is is tailored over the years to the American palate. Are Indian restaurants doing the same thing? They are doing that in a lot of ways. So, for example, you'll see that in an Indian restaurant, you'll get Pollock paneer, which is the spinach, pureed spinach, and it's spiced with the homemade cheese. Often you'll have a lot of cream and oils put in dishes like that. And non-Indians think, oh, so that's what Indian food is. It's heavy, lots of cream, lots of oil. But actually, contrary to that, if you look at real Indian cuisine, especially the stuff that's cooked at home on a daily basis, we rarely eat with cream, heavy oils in our foods. And that's why my books were, I believe, a revelation for a lot of folks in the United States because they saw that the food can be flavorful and delicious, but you really don't need that layer of fat and heaviness. And when you take that out, you tend to taste the flavor profiles, the vegetables, the spices a lot more. And it's something that is light and that you can eat almost every day. And on top of it, it speaks to a lot of specialty food uh, choices. So, for example, you've got a lot of folks that are not only vegetarian but also vegan. They don't eat any animal products. And Indian food is, is very easily translatable into those areas and also gluten-free. So staying away from the wheat, it's very simple to do with Indian food. And so Indian food speaks to a lot of different ways of eating and a lot of different diets. So let's talk about how you decided to take your passion for Indian cuisine and make it into a business. I mean, you were you were a journalist for many years. What what talk, talk to me about how Indian is an advertised Indian is advertised your business started. Sure, I um, grew up. Well, I was born in India and then I grew up outside of Philadelphia, but I grew up with a grandfather that was a huge foodie that lived in Punjab that would visit us and I would visit him and we would always just talk about food and eat real authentic Indian Punjabi food at home and on the streets of India. He really showed me my, or instilled in me a real appreciation in authentic taste profiles. And he would travel for miles, hundreds of miles in India to go and find folks that could cook a dish a perfect way would bring it back to the village in Punjab, have the folks there cook it in the house. And so um, I just developed this love of cooking and eating. And I, I can almost say that I suppressed it for a while because I did have a career as a morning reporter who, you know, we get up at one in the morning, we're on air by, uh, in the office by three, on air by five in the morning. And so life was busy and hectic, especially with two little girls. But then I realized at one point, that they were not getting the kind of food that I grew up on. And I realized I wanted to do that for them the way that my mother had done that for me. And so I took a little time off work and I started this 
almost like a live human experiment on my website called Indina's Apple Pie. And I would write about the foods that I made for them. And did they eat it? Did they not eat it? And just talk about how I was developing their love of not only cuisine, Indian cuisine, but also a appreciation of their roots, which I think is so important to do for your children. And then that just developed into one cookbook, two cookbooks, three, and now a food company. And we've got spices, we've got sauces, and we are starting to get on the shelf. We're here at the Whole Foods in Chicago and in Milwaukee, and we're branching out, hoping to get on the Whole Foods shelves in the um, Philadelphia area as well. I'm talking to a few people there. And just slowly making Indian food more accessible because we're making the ingredients much more acceptable or accessible and readily available. Had you ever been in business before for yourself? No, I did sell Cutco knives for a while. Okay. <laughs> that was way back in the day. I always did something on the side, but no, I I never was a straight out entrepreneur because I was really a true journalist, and so that really was my passion. What 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 are some of the mistakes that you've made as you're trying to build your business and? Yeah, you know, what are some of the things that you uh, that you that you, that you came, issues you came across that you didn't realize that you would come across? Yeah, you know it's a great question because one thing that I really learned after one or two years of making this mistake over and over again was just stick to your core competence. Don't try to be everything to everybody. So I'd have folks that would write me and say, you know, can you do this? demo for me. I promise you're going to sell all these books. You know, just come over for free and you'll, you'll, you'll um, have a lot of exposure. You'll do this. You'll do that. And what I learned is while those touches are fantastic, for me, my platform is, is one that I can reach so many more people through my recipe testing at home, getting that on my website. I have to have all of that in place and my products in place before I can start doing some of the other things. So I even had folks, you know, pitch me from New York to do this TV show and that TV show and a promotion and pay for this. And I realized, you know what, nothing is an overnight success. You have to constantly put the work in day to day to get that core competence taken care of. And when you do that, then you can shift and start focusing on these more intricate, creative sort of projects. So it's not to say that I say no to everything, but I bet it a lot more to see, is it really value add? Is my time really worth it to uh, scramble and and be there in person? Or is this something that um, is more appropriate a year from now when all my products are finished? Because if I'm there, I can't finish my labels and I can't finish my product line and I can't get it done and ready to go. And so that's why I feel like I was delayed by year, year and a half because I was chasing these other smaller sorts of things. But you get you get um, bogged up or bogged down with that because as an entrepreneur, you want to be everywhere. You want to have your name out there. But sometimes it's almost better to shut those doors and just put your head down and get your stuff done, your to-do list done. And then when you're ready to present, you're ready to present. You've got an entire range of products. So what's making you the most money, your books or your, your, your product or a little bit of both? I'm kind of curious. It's a good question. So the books are through my publisher. And so we work through a royalty system. So my books make me money, 
but obviously not a ton of money. Um, they make me what my contract um, is set up for. So I make a certain amount of money from the books, and it's going to stay steady. But the key for me really is the products because um, there's better gross margin with spices. There's better, there's better gross margin with sauces. And it's a consumer product that folks will use, and if they like it, they'll go back and buy it again and again and again and again. So that's been key for me is starting to get on those retail shelves as well. I sell better on my website, obviously, or I make more money from the product that I sell on my website and on Amazon, but I need that exposure to be on a retail shelf. So I've really gone after both tiers, but never um, closing down or shutting down the opportunity for either one. So as I've developed my my uh, my consumer side, direct-to-consumer side, I should say, I continue to develop my wholesale retail side as well so that the product is in both places, but we're not losing um, the touches through the direct-to-consumer because you want to you wanna also have that. So right now, I'm small enough where the order's coming in through my website and Amazon. Uh, I should say my website more. We, we manage and package and ship out ourselves right now. We're small enough that, you know, the orders are not so overwhelming, but is that it, helps. Gen- mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Is it just you right now or do you have other, you have other employees? No, I've got myself and my husband right now doing everything, but we are, we're ready to hire. You know, we're at that spot where we really need an order for me to be able to spend more time on creating. I really need to get some of this other stuff um, handled by somebody else. So we're, we're at that point where we're going to have to hire this year. Um, have you thought about Shark Tank? You know, I've thought about Shark Tank, and I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, that is the immediate um, jump. For me, because I am married to somebody who is in the consultant sort of uh, – he's a – He's a workout consultant, meaning that he works on liquidations, bankruptcies, and and issues like that. So he's able to give me that sort of advice and direction. So I have that. And we also <laughs> don't necessarily – and I apologize for this cough. It's, Sorry. it's It's been a h- harsh winter already here in Chicago. So we're <laughs> – Not so much planned. in New Jersey, but I understand. <laughs> um, and part of it is when you go on Shark Tank and you are looking for that money – you are also giving away a percentage of your business. Now, for me, I may be at that point willing to do that, needing the the money to do that, but I don't think I'm going to be there at least for another year until I develop my product line and show that there's an interest in the product. So you see that folks that go on Shark Tank that fail are the ones that really don't have the revenue stream yet or really have not shown the interest in the market for their product. So I think a year, year and a half down the line, I'll feel more comfortable, but I really want to get some good data points from our Whole Foods partnerships, our other retail partnerships, and my my website to say, hey, this is a product that, that will stick, and this is why. Now, I've got really great numbers on the cookbooks. They they sell well. We, we burn through, and it's a public number, so I can say we've burned through almost 100,000 copies of my three cookbooks combined, which is not a bad number for somebody who's not, who does not have their own cooking show uh, as of yet, um, which is, which is going to happen uh, pretty soon. But 
we haven't quite gotten there yet, so those numbers are pretty solid. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't know much about the food business, obviously, but I do know that the, the labeling requirements can be pretty tough. And has that, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of calorie counts and ingredients listing and stuff, has that been a challenge for you as a, as a small business person in terms of implementing this stuff there? We, it, it has been a challenge to learn what to do. I agree with that. Um, what I did was I made sure I got a really good contract manufacturer for my sauces, and I have a really good uh, label designer. Because what happened is, and you wouldn't think this would happen, but it happened to us, which was a problem in the beginning, we worked with a designer who claimed they understood food regulation, food regulations when it comes to labeling. And they did not. And so they steered us the wrong way when it came to the coating on the labels. It has to be a specific kind of coating for food labels. They steered us wrong when it came to FDA requirements. So the first generation of our labels, if I showed them to you, you would laugh at me because they were so bad. But it was the learning curve that I needed to go through to say, you know what, now I need someone else. And this is like, this is a tip that I always give entrepreneurs, is always listen to the right people. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, because I could have been so attached to my labels, but I tested them in the market, and the retailers were saying, maybe these labels stink. I couldn't sell anything with these labels. They're so boring, and they're not coded properly. So then I listened and went back and found someone who really had that um, expertise under their belt and showed me that they had worked with other food companies. I knew enough to ask at that point, and we were able to work with somebody who, a designer who's actually done the labeling for Ben and Jerry's and Gateway Computers, if you remember them. And so she created a beautiful mark and also knew how that food label had to be presented for FDA compliance. And that was a big learning curve for me, but uh, it was okay. You know, it was it, it burned through a couple thousand dollars worth of, um, you know, investigation and research, but it was really well worth the time and the money spent because I learned a really big lesson, and I'll never make that mistake again. I'll make other mistakes, but uh, and if someone can benefit from my mistakes, that's fantastic. Find somebody that you trust has done it before, mm-hmm. not someone who's learning on your dime. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the old joke they say about college. You go, you 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 go to college, but you pay for an education and stuff like that. I, I, but, I butchered that joke, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's certainly, it's certainly, you certainly do, do learn a lot of things the hard way. Um, you mentioned the TV show. I mean, I think I saw you mention you've alluded on Facebook that you have an opportunity like that coming. Is that is that what, can you talk about talk about that? Yeah, I absolutely can talk about it. Um, I pitched a Indian cooking show with. It'll be one of the first of its kind with an American point of view. Somebody who was raised in America, that's going to go to India, travel, look at food, come back to a kitchen in America and show you how to prepare it, make it. And I pitched it to the PBS station here in Chicago, which is WTTW. So we are in negotiations right now um, to present the show. And we are looking to get this on the airwaves, we think, by 2017. And it would be through WTTW, which would then present it nationally and whomever in whichever market, I'm hoping, I'm crossing my fingers, Philadelphia might be interested, is interested in a show like that, they would pick it up and thus it would be a, a national, a show with a national footprint. 
That sounds exciting. It, it, is, yeah, it, it's, is, it's is, a lot of work. <laughs> is it, is it That's why I don't sound excited. I, I take it you're an efficient multitasker. I don't know about efficient, but I get I do get my stuff done. I try to put out fires as best I can. I think in that sense, this works against me. I'm a true journalist where I have to be up against a deadline. And then and then it's all done. But uh, I'm trying to get better at really kind of being efficient with that to do list. Interesting, interesting. Um, you know, so what's the big plan for 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 you as a as a business person? You're gonna expand your sauce. You are you gonna do frozen dinners? You're gonna do frozen frozen meals? More sauces, more spices. What, what's the big plan? So, my goal is to do something Indian in the Indian space that has not been done yet. The Indian space is hugely fragmented. So my thought is to bring it under one mark, one brand, one face. So Indian as Apple Pie will not only give you your cookbook and teach you how to cook at home, it'll give you the spices, the sauces, and then we've got lentils and legumes that are hard to source in a mainstream market. We've got those going. And eventually, and this will be way down the line, we will think about frozen foods, canned, jarred, um, which we're already doing the jarred, but more variations on the jarred, um, just to be able to say to a retailer, we can give you everything you want it under this one brand, and it's a trusted brand. And I will take as long as I need to take to make sure they're all very clean labels. We don't, we, we choose not to put additives, food dyes. I want to make products that you're, you'll be excited to feed your kids. And so very healthy, clean labels and clean products is my goal and it it'll, it takes a little longer to do that but I, I really think for me it's worth it so that's that's the goal down the line is to kind of capture that indian food market uh on a mainstream level not just in that indian grocery store corridor now if you go to london you know obviously there's an indian indian food is kind of like <laughs> italian food there you know, it's, it's pretty ubiquitous there's a, there's a tandoori shop on every corner is, and obviously, it's it's not getting to that point right now. But is it is 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 Indian broken food mainstream? Is it is it you know the mainstream marketplace right now? Is it? It seems like it's at least that's my observation. I don't know whether that may be true, but it yeah, it's getting there. I mean, you have to think about the population in London of Indians and South Asians is so much larger than you'll see in most cities in the States. And that's what a lot of that is driven by. London also never, or England, never had a, a strong tradition in terms of really good, delicious food, right? So Indian food met that sort of requirement. In the West, or I should say in the U.S., we, we have traditions of really good food, restaurant food and restaurants. I mean, that's changing in England a lot. And that's taken... I think that's happened over the last 10 to 15 to 20 years. And I think that's why partially Indian food has been so popular in England rather than in the United States. I think it'll start to get there, but I do think that in order to get there, there has to be somebody presenting it that makes it understandable and really not exotic. Because I think Indian food is where Mexican was 25 years ago, and we're on the brink of being able to take it over that hump but it has to be presented to Americans in a way that's truly understandable, that says, you know what, this is a cuisine that you can understand as an equal. I'm not talking down to you. I'm not trying to tell you it's exotic. I hate that word exotic personally because it makes something seem like the other. 
And it really should just be something that you can make easily at home, um, no matter where you're from, Philadelphia, King of Prussia, where I'm from, um, you know, Iowa, Alabama. There should be a reason to make Indian just because it's flavorful. And so that's where we need to get. And I think we'll get there over the next 15 to 20 years, but it is going to be a journey. And it's already happening. We're already seeing it happen. And so um, how fast it happens, I don't know. That's the question. That's the million-dollar question in the food industry is we keep talking about Indian being the it uh, cuisine. When is that going to happen? Um, But I I really believe it's going to, and it already is. Well, Anupi, I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me and talk about your business, about your philosophy and food, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything else you wanted to add that, about about Indian food, about your business that I might have forgotten to ask? Well, no, I think you covered it all, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much. You have a good day. Thanks, Jonathan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.